And welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. He is Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow. Good to be with you. Happy 2019 for the audience that we have not had an opportunity to interact with. Paul, happy new year to you. Happy Good to be Lance. aboard. Absolutely. A new year. It is the start of the Giants offseason. That doesn't mean we don't have plenty to unravel and plenty to tackle <laughs> Over these next 60 minutes, 201-939-4513. That is the telephone number, hashtag Giants Chat. The way for you to interact with us here on Twitter. And a reminder, as we kick off 2019, that Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes. So Dave Gettleman had his season-ending press conference on Wednesday. We'll go over the ins and outs of that. We'll get to your phone calls. We'll get to your tweets, as well as perhaps areas that the Giants want to address in the offseason with respect to personnel and roster. And that's where I want to begin. I know, obviously, the Eli Manning conversation we're going to get to, Paul, but there were a number of other things that Dave Gettleman covered in his press sure. conference that I think are notable, and I want to at least start there. If you look back at the 2018 season, and one of the things that he brought up, and I went back just for the means of comparison, the Giants, interestingly, Paul, scored the most points amongst all NFC East teams this mm -hmm. year, 369 points. That is correct. At the same time, they also allowed the most points in the NFC East, yes. 412. I don't think anybody's necessarily surprised with that. And that's a big reason why the Giants went 5-11, and 11, and they finished, by the way, 1-5 in the division. Mm -hmm. You then go back to the last time that happened, Paul, was 2015. Coincidentally, another year, by the way, that they played an awful amount of close games that came down mm -hmm. to the wire. They scored 420 points on offense that season, and they allowed 442. And the common theme is they went 6-10, and 10, and they went 2-4 and four in the division. Mm -hmm. So... I think we're starting to see, and this is stating the obvious if you look across the NFL landscape, but balance is the key. You, you can't expect your offense to make up for your defensive shortcomings and vice versa. you got to have some middle ground, and that was one of the things that Dave Gettleman said. It goes without saying, one of their biggest priorities is they are going to shore up this defense, they're going to attempt to do it, and they're going to attempt to bring in some more consistent playmakers based on what they did this season where they essentially revamped the roster already. There were only two concrete directions that Gettleman revealed in his presser to the uh, media and his State of the Giants deal. One was that he needs more playmakers on defense, which I think we all agree with. And he did say that is the top priority. Okay, so let's, let's get that clear too. He is definitely, I don't want to use the word satisfied, but definitely much more pleased with the offense after watching what they did over the final eight weeks of the season where they averaged, what, almost 30 points a game. So he gets the fact that the priority has to be defense. So that should give you an indication, first of all, of where he's leaning on all of his decisions. He said we need more playmakers on defense. Second thing he was very clear about is that you always have to look to upgrade the lines. Yeah. The trenches, the defensive and offensive lines, you never stop looking to upgrade those spots because that's where the football game is built. And again, it's old school. I agree with it 150%, and I'm glad to hear him say it. And he also, the reason why he brought that up, because to your point, Paul, yes, the offensive production went up in the second half of the season, part of the reason being that the offensive line was tweaked, was changed. And on a side note, one of the things that I wanted to bring up, not to get completely off topic, but you know, a lot of people, they look back at the 2018 season, Paul, and they say, well, should those offensive line changes been made earlier in the season? Number one. They lost Jalapio in week two of the season. So that already forced changes to be made. And that wasn't necessarily a good change because he was arguably one of their best offensive linemen at the time he got hurt. The other important factor to note is 
The Giants couldn't make a move with Jamon Brown, Paul, until Jamon Brown actually became a free agent. <laughs> so I, I chuckle. You mean and, and, they couldn't just steal him from the Rams? It, no. Like, the last time I checked, they couldn't. The morning, just <laughs> no, and I know we're laughing about it, but I, I've heard some fans, and I, I'm not accusing everybody of saying this. Well, they, you know, they should have brought in a guy like Jamon Brown on the season. Jamon Brown was on the Rams. He didn't become available until the bye week. Mm-hmm. So how could they have made that change? And Eric Flowers, by the way was pulled out of the starting lineup, Paul, against the Texans in week three. So what you're saying is week one or week two, you wanted to see more changes. I think it's important to go over the facts to just look at changes were made relatively early in the season. They made five changes going yeah. into opening day. How many more did you want to do? So there you go. I, I didn't want mean to get off topic. I just wanted to gain some clarity with respect to that because even in the wake of this season, that's been a big part of the narrative. But getting back to your point about he said, just because you feel you have some stability on the offensive line doesn't mean you're content and you're not going to still target other players. And look at what the Jaguars had to go through, Paul the Washington Redskins in the division, the Dallas Cowboys to a certain degree, you cannot get away in the NFL with saying, we feel really good about our starting five offensive linemen, and we're set. Because what happens? You're going to lose, whether it be for the season, whether it be for three games, you're going to lose some of your starters. So what Dave Gettleman's saying, okay, now we may have figured out our starting group to a certain degree. That doesn't mean that the depth chart now shouldn't be a priority so that we can mix and match and in the event we lose one of our starters we can at least plug in somebody that we don't think there's going to be a significant drop off well i also hope quite frankly that he does mean that he'd like to upgrade the no, and i get that too line. i get besides that besides the depth uh, i like chad wheeler as a backup i think he fights hard he's a good kid a good locker room guy he scraps gives you everything he's got but against a lot of these higher level defensive ends he does get overmatched. That's not an insult to him, okay? I think absolutely he belongs in the competition as one of the nine offensive linemen that they'll probably take into opening day next year. That's fine, but you need to have a more dominant right tackle who is going to be a bruiser in the run game. You need a Kareem McKenzie is what you need, okay? That's what you need. A guy who is going to be ferocious in in plastering people on the edge for Saquon Barkley. And also a guy who's going to make sure that guys coming off the edge are not going to get to Eli. So you need a dominant right tackle. Which means either you're going to pay a lot of money to get one in free agency. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Well, you get very emotional over these subjects. I I'm not necessarily stunned by these developments. Uh, or, Or you draft one in the first or second round in April. That's how you go and get that position shored up. Besides that, I'm with you. Yeah. Enhance the depth as as much as you can. Well, because my point is the sixth and the seventh offensive lineman, I guess, is what I'm saying, is just as important as the starting five. And I think it's not just the Giants that we've learned that from. I'm looking at what transpired across the league, Paul, this year. And a lot of teams, the turning points in their seasons were when they lost one or two starters on the offensive line. And then they maybe even lose a guy who's a swing guy. And now you're pulling guys off the street just to get a respectable offensive line out there. And it's very hard to sustain good offensive line play and win consistently under those circumstances. I think the Redskins are the perfect example right within the division. I mean, look at all the guys they lost. They lost both starting guards mm-hmm. for the season, and both of their tackles missed a good portion of time. Trent Williams missed a few games, and it's very hard to stay in the playoff hunt when you're put through those circumstances. So you need good backups. You need reliable depth. And let's not forget, 
Football 101 says if you build from the trenches, you build from the inside out, if you do that, you not only have the highest percentage of chance for success this year, but for the ensuing next several years, if you are strong at the line of scrimmage, you will always give yourself a chance to be competitive. And that's why I continue to tell people it is the lazy way out to say, get a running quarterback. Go get a quarterback with legs. You see, that's like putting a Band-Aid on the Hoover Dam when it springs a leak. Because maybe you'll get lucky for a very short period of time in the interim, like the Ravens have with Lamar Jackson. You might get that little short stretch of time where things are going well. But sooner or later, if you don't have the trenches secured, things will fall apart, if not up front. And with your running game, which then puts more pressure on your quarterback, that running quarterback, at some point in time, as every running quarterback in this league does, he gets hurt. Yeah. Russell Wilson's probably the only guy who hasn't missed a game of the running quarterbacks who have been in this league for any extended period of time. And that's a miracle because he had an MCL and a high ankle sprain a couple of years ago. I think it was three years ago. And he played through that. And he played through it somehow. I still don't know how, okay? But think about it. Even going back years ago, your Jim Zorns, your your Randall Cunninghams, your Michael Vicks, your RG3s. It's not just about this generation of those running quarterbacks. Running quarterbacks will always be rolling the dice. And sooner or later, they're going to wind up hurt on the bench or on IR, and then they're not doing your team any good at all. And another example would be, I'm just looking at the playoff teams, Paul. Mitchell Trubisky, who coincidentally missed the game against the Giants this season, he suffered a shoulder injury this year, and he actually led all quarterbacks in rushing yards this season. Now, I wouldn't say that he's necessarily just a mobile quarterback. There's a lot of other things he brings to the table, but when you expose yourself to those extra hits, they're going to pile up, they're going to come back to bite you. Now, Speaking of the quarterback position, that might as well transition us transition us into the quarterback position for the New York Giants. And Dave Gettleman did mention that he had a meeting with Eli Manning on Monday. He said that Eli came to him and wanted to discuss things. And Dave Gettleman didn't give any definitive answer in terms of what's going to happen with the quarterback position overall in 2019. Pat Shermer, though, has been extremely supportive of Eli Manning on the record. And a lot of people are reading in to all of that was said and all of what was not said. Paul during the course of Wednesday's press conference and I don't know necessarily if anybody should be in a position to play psychoanalysis with the words of Dave Gettleman because we still have a number of weeks before perhaps the Giants get into the free agency period and I think at this point they're exploring their options but I think it's important to say that not only perhaps are the Giants exploring their options but there's two sides of all of this there's what Eli Manning wants to do in the short term and the long term and there's what the Giants want to do in the short term and the long term and I think anybody who wants to have a well-versed conversation on this subject needs to understand you can't just look at it through the Giants lens you also need to look at it through Eli Manning's lens as well I don't think there's any question that both the Giants and Eli Manning want him to be the starter in September of 2019. Now, how they get there, whether it involves a restructuring of a deal, an extension of a deal, uh, potentially uh, um, some type of, uh, of agreement where you know the numbers have to be earned instead of given in a base, there are a lot of mechanisms they can use to make that happen, but I do believe both sides are on the same page and want that to happen, and I suspect they will find a way to make it happen. That's why I've been saying all along, 
Manning's going to be the starter September 2019. I'm still not backing off of that. I think the narrative that many of the comic books printed today, and it's a shame <laughs> that they felt they had to do that, um, is that Dave Gettleman watched every snap of this season. He was at most of the practices when he could be when his health allowed. He has a very good idea about what he's going to do with every member of this roster. But to be fair, and this is the part that I think a lot of people left out when they got in front of their computers to write stories. To be fair, he said, I haven't made any decisions on anybody because I still have to talk to my position coaches and my head coaches to get their evaluations, which will come by the end of the week. And then he's still got to go through his tape study, which he said was going to start this past Wednesday. Yeah. Today's Thursday. So yesterday he started this tape study. He is a very methodical guy. He says he hates to be wrong. So he does everything in a very systematic fashion. He's adamant about it. And he will not deviate from it. So he opened his presser yesterday by telling everybody, I'm not going to tell you about the status of anybody on the roster or the status of anybody's contract. Because there's nothing to say about it. So for those folks in the comic book world who want to read in to what he did not say about Eli Manning, they weren't listening to the opening portion of his press conference. He was not, under any circumstances, going to address the status of any member of this football team on the current roster. He was not going to do it. That does not mean that there's any doubt that the guy's going to be coming back. It simply means that Dave is going through the process. It would have been unfair to his coaches, okay? It would have been unfair to all of the players in his locker room for him to single out one guy and say, player X, I've decided what's going to happen to him. Yeah, he's coming back or no, we don't want him. That would have been so unfair to everybody involved because he made it clear that he's going to treat every player equally so they all have to go through the process. Now, he also said, because he had seen everything during the season, he has a good idea of what he saw, but he wants to look at the films and look at the coaches' evaluations so that he can double-check things and make sure that he recalls everything correctly. What's wrong with that? I don't understand why people suddenly have to come up with comic book scenarios for whatever dream fantasy they have and make a bigger mountain out of this thing than what it is. The guy is simply going through the process and he's holding true to his word because he has integrity and he wants to make sure that he does not slight anybody. So my feelings have never changed never wavered. Eli starts for this team in September of 2019. I'm not sure the mechanisms under which they will use to get there, but I'm still totally on board with that and don't think there is any cause right now to be concerned about. Well, related to your point about Dave Gettleman not really addressing any specific player's status or his contract, early in the press conference, I'm going to read you a short quote. 
just to at least further put things in perspective, Paul, he was asked the following question. You inherited two big contracts with Olivier Vernon and Janoris Jenkins. How would you evaluate those two, the way they played this year and moving forward? And his response was really in line to how he responded to all the Eli Manning questions. Mm -hmm. Quote, I haven't. This is what I'm going to do the next two weeks. My personal feeling is the biggest mistakes are made when you were emotional. When the season ends, you're emotional. You're mentally cooked. So until I start watching the film, which is going to start today, I really can't answer that question. It's not fair. End quote. Now, the reason I read that, Paul, is because if you were to play the mind games that a lot of people are doing and you were to say, well, wait a minute. Dave Gettleman was asked earlier in the press conference about the status of Olivier Vernon and Janoris Jenkins, who, like Eli Manning, are both under contract, right, for 2019. So if he came out and said, Olivier Vernon, Janoris Jenkins, I've seen everything over the course of the season. I like what I see. They're both definitely going to be on the roster. And then Eli Manning gets a completely different answer. Then you could say, okay, wait, something's not adding up, right? There's inconsistency across the board. That was not the case. He basically treated every question about player status the same way. And here's the other thing that's important to note. Consistency, which is admirable. Of course. Well, I mean, the whole point is you want a direct, consistent message. You're the face of the franchise when you speak on behalf of the franchise to the media. The other thing that's important to note is in the NFL, and this is not about the Giants. This is in generic standpoint, Paul. Fluidity. fluidity is a key term that comes to mind when you talk about NFL rosters. Sometimes you talk to the media or you look at your roster in January and then you have a completely different mindset in March. So that's another reason why I think executives, players don't want to put themselves in precarious spots where then you go back to their words from a few months ago and you're like, well, wait a minute, you said this in January, look at what happened in March. Case in point, case in point, the Eagles, another perfect example in the division. A few years ago, they drafted Carson Wentz. Right? They moved up to draft Carson Wentz. But what did they do, Paul, before they moved up to draft Carson Wentz? They gave Sam Bradford a new deal, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, So they solidified that Sam Bradford is their guy, it appears. He's the veteran quarterback. He's going to go in. On top of that, this was the first year that Doug Peterson took over as head coach. So this was a few years ago. Then they signed Chase Daniel as Sam Bradford's backup. All this was done before Carson Wentz was drafted. That's why I'm emphasizing this. Now, Chase Daniel was given good money. He had familiarity with Doug Peterson. They were together with Kansas City. They wanted a veteran quarterback, just like Pat Shermer says, Alex Taney can come in with the least amount of reps he could take over. Same type of rationale. Okay, so they signed both of those quarterbacks, Bradford, Daniel. If you're an Eagles fan, you're going into the season thinking, all right, we're set. We know what our quarterback depth chart looks like. Then all of a sudden, they move up in the draft and they take Carson Wentz. Okay, the story's not done yet, Paul. They go into training camp. Bradford's still in line to be the starter. Teddy Bridgewater gets hurt. Now somebody's picking up the phone, Rick Spielman, GM of the Vikings. He calls up the Eagles and says, do you have any interest shopping some of your quarterbacks? And they like what they were offered. They ship Sam Bradford to Minnesota. And all of a sudden, it went from Sam Bradford giving a contract extension to being solidified as the starter, to now all of a sudden dressing up for a completely new team. And the season hadn't even started by then. So I'm bringing that up not to say that Eli Manning is going to be traded and this and that is going to happen. The whole point is to assume that on January 2nd, which was the date of Dave Gettleman's press conference, that the Giants know exactly how the offseason is going to play out, I think is a naive perspective knowing how so much of the unknown is going to unwind and unravel in the next few months. I think that's certainly fair, and I do think that the other thing you have to keep in mind is that Dave Gettleman and Pat Shermer, as far as we can tell, and we're inside the building every day, are operating in unison every step of the way. 
And so, aside from the fact that Dave Gettleman said Eli Manning can make all of the NFL throws and also said the kid was running for his life last year, we kind of fixed that offensive line some, and his numbers weren't too shabby. So he did throw compliments Eli's way. Absolutely. But aside from that, we know that Gettleman and Shermer are on the same page. Pat Shermer has done nothing but praise Eli Manning all season. In fact, the other day said he believed Eli could play a couple of more years at least and also said, I believe on WFAN with Mike Francesa yesterday, we believe in Eli Manning. So <laughs> we know that Gettleman and Shermer are on the same page and Coach Pat Shermer has basically told you everything you need to know about Eli Manning's status with this organization or where they intend his status to be. I don't, I don't think that the, the comic book world has any room here to come up with fantasy storylines, but yet they have found a way to do it. So then who do we label the people that actually made Spider-Man and all the actual comic books? We're going to have to find a new label for that, Paul, because you're renaming the comic book world. We're doing an injustice to the ones who actually are invested See, in the comic Stan, world. Stan Lee recently passed. He did, unfortunately, yes. And so now there is room for these other folks to inherit. <laughs> Boy, did I open the door inherit, for you on that one. See, that was a nice way to squeeze out of this subject. Boy, that was crafty on your part, Paul. See, 2019 going very smoothly there you go. for the discussion here. We want to remind you, Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes. All right, let's open up the phone lines, 201 939 4513, hashtag Chat on Twitter. Marco is in Connecticut. He gets us going on Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Marco, welcome to the program. What do you got for us? Hey, Lance and Paul. How are you? Doing very well, Marco. What's happening? Happy New Year. Same I got, you. Uh, I got a, a few hard hitters here, I think, from the press conference yesterday that really uh, sat with me. I wanted to talk with you guys about it. And um, I think we might be interpreting things a little bit differently, but I'm, you know, just want to have a, a respectful take on, on Gettleman's press conference yesterday. Um, here's a couple things that I take from him that I really, really like. Going back to last year, and I still feel this way, I think he wanted to set out to build a much tougher team in the lines. I mean, that's his pedigree, and I think he will continue to do that, which I like. Um, he keeps mentioning he wants to bring in players who hate to lose, and I think that's a characteristic that he's going to continue to look for, um, which I, I'm, all, I'm all good with it. And, Paul, you mentioned Kareem McKenzie. I think those are the type of players he's going to keep bringing in. He, yeah. um, he brought up the three offensive linemen back in 2000. Um, Lomas Brown. And, and so, Walker and yeah. yeah, Yeah, and I, so, so I think there's a certain characteristic that if you're trying to think of what type of the type of free agents that he's looking at or even draft picks, that, that's what you could look at. Um, I also, what I really like about him is, it could be frustrating, too. Okay, he plays off a lot of what the crowd's doing. He's got it. You know, there, there's um, he, he, he's, he's in, he could be a little odd sometimes, but I thought he was super sharp. Um, a reporter asked him about something that Archie Manning said, which, by the way, the reporter pulled something from Archie because I read the whole report. Mm -hmm. Archie, Manning did, Archie Manning didn't even say it like that. He just said... The t and Eli actually, Eli actually backed it up on the radio last night, saying like, "Of course, the losing has an impact on him." That's mm -hmm. all Archie said. Mm -hmm. But where I liked the, what I liked about Gettleman is super sharp reply to say, "I'm not going to address it because Archie never said it to me." I love that. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. 
But here's here's where I get a little frustrated from because Jerry, Jerry Reese, take him or leave him, whatever, I don't care. At least he came on. Uh, he spoke to the media a few different times. I don't care when Gettleman does. He did yesterday, which is great with me. You, Dave Gettleman, you picked, you, you turned over a large portion of this roster. At least come on and give a give a give a quick hitter on even if you just want to address the guys that you brought in specifically. I would have liked to hear maybe what you thought of Nate Solder, and it wasn't even it wasn't asked. I know. Eli is a sensitive topic. I know Odell's a sensitive topic. Although, although he, no one asked any more questions about Odell because Dave was a little more definitive in Odell. Why would we? Why would we trade him when we just signed him? Well, there's nothing else to ask. There's no more questions. So, I don't. I don't appreciate that from a fan's point of view. I don't appreciate the the general manager not. Just coming out, and he, and he lays out these guidelines. Fine. You don't want to talk about contracts? That's great, because you said that last year. But the coach, the head coach, has talked to the media every single day since game one. At least come on. You've had two or three days. At least come on and tell me a little something about the players instead of saying, i got to go back and look at the film. Unless unless you're going to come back next week and talk to the media again. Which, So, so basically, guys, what I'm saying is there's some, there's some strategy behind that, too. Well, in terms of the timetable, to your point, Dave Gettleman feels as if the head coach should be the voice of the team throughout the season. And there's a lot of GMs, in fairness, Marco, who operate like that, where they don't feel as if it's necessary for them to address the media or the fans throughout the course of the season. So he subscribes to that philosophy, and he's basically following the same exact thing that he did, Paul, in Carolina. He's not changing anything. You know, it's not as if they handled it like that in Carolina, and he's doing it differently mm-hmm. in terms of your comparison to what Jerry Reese did. And, and you're right, Jerry Reese usually gave a midseason report during the bye week. So I understand your reference. But Gettleman didn't do that in Carolina, so he's following what he has done since he's been a general manager. As far as addressing the fans again and maybe having more to say on the players, normally he will speak to the media a little bit at the Senior Bowl. So we probably will hear from him. I don't know if it's going to be a formal press conference, but there will be some interaction with Dave Gettleman and the media before this month ends. So you probably will have an opportunity to get some of those answers. But I think as far as Eli goes and the difference between Odell Beckham and Eli Manning, It's a little bit different, and it goes back to what Paul and I were discussing at length earlier, Marco, which is we don't know what Eli Manning said to Dave Gettleman. You you understand? You've got to look at it as that he may have given things to Dave Gettleman that now Dave Gettleman has to think about. And Dave Gettleman may have said things to Eli that Eli has to think about. And why come out on the record and say exactly definitively this is what's going to happen in September 2019 if there's so many fluid situations? Because then you start putting yourself in a precarious spot, and why should any executive do that where you say things on the record, things completely change a few weeks later, and then you're questioning, well, why'd you even say that at the press conference? So I think you got to look at it through that lens. You see, okay. understand that, that Dave also said he's going to talk to the coaches by the end of the week, and he is already into his film study now as of yesterday. It's not right for him to comment on any player until he's done with the process. So I think I think that particular item of your criticism is unwarranted and unfounded because it's not his choice. It's the media that, that comes here to you with flames saying, we need to talk to the GM. They're demanding. They need their clickbait. they got to have the GM's press conference right after the season. I agree with you. I don't think there's value in having Dave Gettleman sit down yesterday to have that that presser. I think there's more value in saying, okay, 
Coach had his season-ending presser. Let the GM yep. do his evaluation, and we'll talk to him the week of the Senior Bowl when he is fully equipped and has already gotten concert with his staff as to what he wants to do. So I think oh. you're a thousand percent correct that there was not a ton of value in having the GM speak yesterday. I agree with you. Here's 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 one thing about that, and, I, and then I'll jump off the line. But a lot of the things that you heard about Gettleman from Carolina were that the players didn't like him because he was so black and white, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. So when it comes when it comes to what the media is saying about things, that's where I, that's what I don't like. It's almost like I'm 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 mad at the GM because I wish he could have been a little more black and white, which leaves little room for interpretation. Going back to last year, there was so much talk about if Odell's going to get traded because there was room for interpretation on what was said at the Senior Bowl and uh, we're listening to trades or we're not listening to trades, so people ran with it. Now, now, and I do believe, though, I do believe he has a serious plan. He is very black and white, and I believe uh, when he spoke with Eli or when Eli spoke with him, he laid out. This is my. This is what I think. Just after listening to Eli last night on the fan, I think Gettleman was black and white, and they have no reason not to praise this guy, uh, Shermer and Gettleman. They have no reason. But for me, Paul and Lance, the praise doesn't mean he's necessarily coming back or he's a starting quarterback. The praise is the praise. He's a. He played well. We love Eli. Consummate professional. All of that. He deserves it. But I think the ball is absolutely in Eli's court. Because I think the Giants and Dave Edelman know what they want to do. And they laid it out to Eli. And now he is left to go back and figure out, well, now that I know the plan, what does that mean for me? And and the reason I'm saying that is because he said on the fan, um, I, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but it, it was something like, yeah, there, there would be a few instances or situations that I would have to – we would have to see what, what, what I would be able to work with too. Uh, so you, you can interpret that forever you want, but that tells me – yeah, Eli, you're coming back, but guess what? We're going to stockpile that quarterback position, whether it's in free agency or the draft. And if we get off to a rough start, hey, we, we have decisions we have to make, too, and there's we're nothing, letting well, you know there's, that. There's, there's nothing yeah. wrong with that. Kurt Warner went through that same scenario. Uh, uh, putting, putting the Eli thing aside for a second, back to the earlier part of your point, and let's make something very clear. Your criticism of Gettleman for being uh, uh, so tight-lipped is actually unwarranted. The criticism should go to the newspaper folks who decide they have to write comic book stories and speculate about a bunch of junk because they want attention. That's really where the problem is, you see, because it doesn't do them any good to come out and write that uh, Eli's still going to be the quarterback in September 2019. That won't get the crawl on ESPN. That won't get the clicks. That won't get all the, the Twitterverse going in a hot and heavy. That's not going to do it for them, you see? And and because they crave volatility, they're going to take every chance that they get to create a comic book scenario that's going to stir the pot as much as possible. That's where the responsibility lies. If you want to be critical, don't be critical of Dave Gettleman, who has given you short snippets of the truth because that's all he has to give you right now. Be critical of the folks who write the comic books. 
And uh, Marco, we'll, we'll let you go on that Thank point. You. Appreciate the phone Thank call. You. Two things Thank I you. wanted to piggyback off of what Marco had to say. Number one, I don't disagree with his interpretation of what he thinks went on in the conversation between Eli Manning and Dave Gettleman. Because as I said, there may have been things Eli said to Dave and Dave said to Eli. We don't know. We're not privy to that information. So it's understandable that they left it as, all right, let's take the next few weeks to think things over, digest what was discussed. And pretty much that's exactly what our last caller did. The other thing that I wanted to react to his terminology saying that you know Dave Gettleman tends to be black and white with players and it doesn't necessarily always appear that way with the media or the fans through the media now I don't think this is my own personal opinion let me make that very clear I don't think Paul that any front office executive is under an obligation that they have to give the media and the fans is an extension of that play-by-play of every detail of every conversation that occurs behind closed doors. What business does that? Well, so so it, it's one thing to say Dave Gettleman has a reputation based on what he did in Carolina of sitting down players and telling them how it is and basically not dolling it up. But that doesn't mean that he has to give the media and the fan base the same treatment. It's like any other corporation. Now, you can argue, well, other corporations who have stock owners, they're under an obligation to be more transparent because those individuals are invested in that specific company. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily the equivalency of how the Giants are operating and any other private organization, with the exception of the Green Bay Packers who have various stock owners, but not every team is operating like that, Paul. So if other businesses don't operate like that. I don't understand why a general manager of a team should be held to completely different standards when talking about behind the door, in the closet type of issues. One more comment before we get back to the callers. Uh, Marco was asking about, well, I would love to have known what Gettleman said about Nate Solder or what he thought about Nate Solder. Well, again, nobody, nobody in that room is going to ask about Nate Solder because comments about Nate Solder, first of all, Gettleman's not going to talk about it because he's one of the guys on the roster. And he's not giving out evaluations on players who he has not gone through with the process or pro- with the process with. So that's first. But second, honestly, do you really believe that there are folks who want to write about Nate Solder? No, no, no. Nobody in that in that press conference is sitting there saying, "I can't wait. I'm <laughs> salivating to write about Nate Solder because that's the kind of clickbait." That's going to get me headlines. No, no. They all go into that room knowing full well that they got to come out of there with whatever juice they can get out of the orange. And the only way they're going to get juice out of the orange is to talk about the quarterback or Odell Beckham Jr. Nobody's going to get any juice out of anything they produce talking about Nate Solder. Well, that, that's the reason why, to your point, four players were essentially brought up during that entire half-hour press conference. It was, yes, Eli and Odell, and then there was one question, as I read about Vernon and Jenkins, because of the nature of their contracts. I can't think of another question, Paul, that was crafted towards Dave Gettleman. I mean, did anybody ask him about even Landon Collins? I don't think Landon Collins was brought. Now that I think about it, there was not one question about Landon Collins, and Landon Collins would have been a relevant question. Who, by the way, is their premier free agent. Yeah, so now that doesn't mean that Dave Gettleman's going to give you a detailed answer, but now that I think about it, I can't believe nobody asked about Landon Collins. Nobody asked anything about the safety position overall, which probably is going to get some changes with respect to performance of players both as starters and the depth chart so I mean that just goes to show you what the point of the press conference was and now 
he's not under an obligation to answer a question about a player, really, unless that question is posed his way. So it really falls on, and I'm not here to play the blame game with the media or refer to them as the comic book entity of society. I'll leave Paul with that for the labels. But what I will say is, if the questions are not asked, he's not going to sit and give a 40-minute dissertation before the press conference starts and go over every single player. He's just not going to do that. I don't know of any general manager, Paul, that is going to sit there and go like, all right, here's my thoughts on the left tackle. Here's my thoughts on the right tackle. Here's my thoughts on everything in between. I think, I think what I'd like the fans to understand is that get used to Dave Gettleman's style. He's a man of integrity. He's a man of truth. And he's a man who's also not going to show all of his cards to everybody every single minute of the day. And if you understand how this man operates, then you truly do understand why the writers are frustrated by that and they will go off on their own fantasy world with their own narratives because that's the only way they're going to get the juicy clickbait that they so badly thirst for. Let's head back to the phone lines, 201-939-4513. He's Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow. Thanks for tuning in to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We've got Chris in Alamucci. Chris, welcome to the program. What do you got for us? Hey, thanks, Lance. Once again, uh, thanks, Paul. Once again, happy New Year to you guys. Same to you, Chris. Um, thanks. Uh, two points. You know, uh, I want to bring this up. You know, it, it's a broad stroke when you talk about Eli being a, not a mobile quarterback. He is a mobile quarterback. He rolls out. And he does a pretty good job this year rolling out. Is he elusive? No. And that's what, that's what he should be labeled at. He's not an elusive quarterback, and he's not a rushing quarterback. But he is able to move. And we've seen it multiple times when, Shermer, when Shermer's uh, game plan calls for it, when uh, he does roll out. And he actually throws pretty well on the run. And I thought he did a pretty uh, good job compared to years past rolling out uh, as, as a 37-year-old this year. Um, than he, than he had done uh, in previous years. That's my first point. No argument. Um, That's fair. Yeah. You know, yeah. Real, real quick, Chris, before you continue, I think you, yeah. you bring up a great point. There should be a little bit more differential in the language and the jargon when we refer to mobile quarterbacks. It should be running quarterbacks, Correct. and running quarterbacks are guys that tend to roll out of the pocket. There's designed run plays. They'll take the hits up the field because you could be a mobile quarterback who works the pocket, to your point, but you're not mobile when it comes to developing plays on your own with your legs once the pocket breaks down. Correct. I mean, that's like, you know, they're basically labeling Eli as a statue, and he's not a statue. You know, the fact is the media eats it up every time when a defender is ready to bear down on him and he, and he goes to the ground before the hit. Well, you know what? It's kind of smart. Why is he going to fight, right? He's going to sure. fight, fight off a 260-pound defensive end. He's better off yeah. hitting the deck when he's Absolutely. about to get I mean, that's, that's live, preserve his career. Live for another day because you're more valuable to your team if you can take another snap rather than going to the injured reserve list. Exactly. I equate it to throwing the ball out of bounds, uh, you know, and just live for another day rather than throwing uh, by the you know, way, a bad pass. I want to talk about but a statue. Anyway. Kurt Warner was a statue. Compare Kurt Warner to Eli Manning, and Eli looks like a track star compared to Kurt Warner. <laughs> Absolutely. And he rejuvenated his career when he ended up with the Cardinals and took him to a sure. Super Bowl because yeah. he had protection mm-hmm. with Arizona. Yes. But, Go ahead. Uh, my, my last point is, you know, um, the offensive line is going to get fixed, and, and I, I'm a firm believer, you know, whether it's Jalapio at center, and we are going to probably get a right tackle. Um, you know, the concern is, like Edelman said, working on the de- defense. Pass rush was the biggest issue, you know, in the past uh, month mm-hmm. or so. But, boy, I mean, I know he took some hits in the secondary. But, you know, if we do keep Collins, the, uh, that free safety position has been an eyesore for a long time. We yeah. thought Darian Thompson might have been the answer, and he wasn't. Mm-hmm. And you have to go back to the cup of coffee, 
of Will Hill when he was here that showed a lot of promise, yeah. and obviously he ran into some off-the-field issues. Wow. But we need that ball hawk back there, so that way you know, we have a guy like Collins that can tackle, rush the passer, and do what he does best is coming up in the box. But I think free safety uh, is definitely got to be a top priority this offseason. Well, Chris, another name is Stevie Brown. Remember that one season he had where he, what, led the NFL in interceptions? He was another guy that also flashed Absolutely. here. Absolutely. So, yeah, that type of a player. And we'll let you go on that note, Chris. Appreciate the phone Thanks, call. Thanks, I, so much I, I don't want yeah. to let that call go without mentioning Spencer Pulley, who I believe is going to be re-signed here with the Giants and was the center over the second half of the season. He's not getting enough credit here. I really thought that the combination of Jamon Brown and Spencer Pulley were almost equally responsible for the improvement of the Giants' O-line. Well, that goes back to what we were talking about, Paul, in terms of depth. Just because Jalapio comes back, and even if he does reclaim his starting job, it doesn't mean that you don't need a backup center slash guard who could slide in in a pinch because of injury. I would agree with you. I mean, Pulley at least helped stabilize the yes. position once he took over as the starter, and it shouldn't surprise anybody. He was the starting center for the Chargers last year before they decided to upgrade, and they signed Mike Pouncey in free agency which you can't blame any team for looking for an upgrade. Just because you're getting solid play doesn't mean there's not room for improvement. Let's head back to the lines. Jimmy is in Rose Hill. Jimmy, welcome to the Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you have for us? Hey, guys. Uh, how are you? Happy Hi, New Year to you Happy you New Year too. to you as well, Jimmy. Thank you. Um, again, the topic of the day is the, uh, is the press conference yesterday. Uh, I mean, first of all, I mean, the guy is the guy. He's fun to listen to. He sure um, is. You know, <laughs> those various Yiddish terms are, are oh, yeah. actually hysterical. <laughs> I've got former <laughs> former colleague of mine used for cocktail all the time. <laughs> Whenever things started to go sideways, so I got a kick out of that. Or an altercocker too. Remember, he he's very fluid in terms of uh, his jargon with the Yiddish language. He he threw in a few uh, curveballs there. It wasn't just for cocktail, Jimmy. He threw a few no, others he, out there if you followed. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I remember one, I think it was actually during the draft, uh, Shermer was up there with him, and, and, and again, Dave used, I, I don't know which one it was, not, I'm not Jewish, I, I don't remember what it was, but even Shermer kind of looked at him like, I have no idea what you're saying. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. Uh, two things that, that jumped at me, and, and the second one is the Eli thing, and I, I, frankly, after what you, I think you guys have, have talked that one to death, um, you know, uh, so, so I don't want to go there, but I do want to go uh, to where I think um, Gettleman is going to go with this team. It's not the most exciting uh, rebuild or plan, but um, uh, you know, someone asked him about the points that were given up, and he his first comment was, you know, no, I'm not surprised to hear that, and that's why you're five and eleven. And I think it's you know, it's it, again, it's not rocket science, it's not you know, uh, any in depth you know perception here. The defense, especially the lack of a fourth-quarter pass rush, I think was the difference in those uh, so many games this year, and it's the difference throughout the NFL if you watch it. And then when you look at the draft this year, uh, I know it's early, but all the early indications are that it's really, really loaded up with uh, quality defensive players. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't – I'd be – he talked about getting knocked over by a feather. I'd be knocked over by a feather if if Dave doesn't go for uh, you know some help uh, on the defensive side, especially up front, particularly someone that can uh, that can get after the quarterback. That's the first thing. And the second thing, um, the uh, previous caller just alluded to it. 
that is the one part of the the, the, the defense in general. The, the secondary, to me, was was a revolving door this year. And frankly, with um, not knowing what's going to go on with Collins and not knowing what's going to go on with Jenkins, I mean that's that's like. That's a lot of positions, I think, in one part of your defense that uh, at this particular point I think is very, very fluid. Um, any, any thoughts and observations on where do you think Dave's going to go to, uh, with the draft this year? Well, I think, Colin, I think Collins comes back. I think B.W. Webb might come back as a reserve. I don't think he'll be a starter. I think they believe that Sam Beal may be able to be a starter in his rookie season. Remember, he was drafted supplemental this year and was on IR. I do think that they think he can contend as a starting quarter uh, next season. Uh, I also believe, quite frankly, that Dave is probably going to trade up into the third round. I think that he wants as many top three-round picks as he can get his hands on. He's got nine picks already. It is anticipated he's going to get a compensatory pick uh, because of the Pew Omame trade-off, and that may be a fourth-rounder. I've heard a lot of people say it'll probably be a four. Would not surprise me if he tries to wheel and deal and get back up into the third round, which is the pick he had to spend to use on Sam Beal. And I think in those first three rounds, you will see him address the trenches and potentially the secondary. Um, But... You know, I'm sorry, Paul. No, no, no. And and I I would only say this. Dave understands football 101 better than a lot of other people do. He knows that the trenches have to be fortified. Now, you're right to be concerned about the secondary, but it's a lot easier to get guys back there than it is to fortify the trenches. That's why you need to, to spend premium picks on the guys up front. And quite frankly, let me extend that on defense to your front seven because it can be a sensational outside linebacker who gets to the quarterback. It doesn't have to be a defensive end. When I say they've got to address the pass rush, I'm saying it's got to be an edge rusher. I don't know if it's going to be a defensive end or a linebacker, but they got to get somebody who's going to scare the crap out of a quarterback. So, so uh, Paul, Lance, a question. So when, when you're reading all these various draft magazines, and they've got some of these, you know, a lot of these kids listed as as edge. Mm-hmm. You're saying that it's not necessarily a guy that's got his hand in the dirt. It could right. Also, yeah. it could also be a kid who translates into a stand-up outside linebacker. One hundred percent. Well, think like of it this way: when Parcells had the three-four here, Lawrence Taylor was a an outside linebacker, right. but he played a right. lot of stand-up defensive end. I mean, would you take Lawrence Taylor if you could get him? <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and even Jimmy, look at a guy. Look at a guy like Lorenzo Carter. Lorenzo Carter one, one is of one of those versatile passers. One of the questions yeah. does, does, um, does Dave has have a history of that though? I, I have no idea. So I'm asking the question: Is he a guy that moves around on draft day? Always uh, or every or, year or of Dave Gettleman's career when he's been a general manager, either here with the Giants or with Carolina, he has made trades involving draft choices either to move up or down or to acquire a draft choice. Uh, he has always been very, very active in dealing draft choice capital. So he's going to do okay. something. And I, I'm, I'm saying my, my big pick the other day, uh, John asked me for my bold prediction on the show last week when we were doing the pregame before the Dallas game. What is your bold prediction? My bold prediction is that Dave Gettleman moves up and maybe acquires a second first-round draft pick at the bottom of that round. And if not that, I think he trades up into the third round and gets another pick up there.
Well, and he also focused, and Jimmy, appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much for weighing in. He also focused on defensive linemen in the early rounds when he was at Carolina. I know he took Christian McCaffrey right before he left, but he also took one year back-to-back defensive linemen, so take that into consideration as well. He even addressed that at the press conference, by the way, on Wednesday and said a lot of people thought he was crazy because they were like, well, why are you Mm -hmm. focusing on one position? And he said it's because I believe – Depth is important. Playing the trenches is important. And I also believe in taking the best player available as opposed to just reaching and taking a guy for the sake of taking a player. Well, especially when you're at number six. Yeah. You better take the best player available who's going to make an immediate impact on your team. Once again, that's why if you take a QB, he's sitting behind Eli in 2019. He's not making an immediate impact on your team. Well, it's about whether or not you believe that player is going to come in day one and is going Mm -hmm. to make an immediate impact. That's always the question that I think has to circulate when you're picking within the top 10 because you want that player to come in, and I've said this time and time again, you want that player to contribute not just in 2019. You want it to be a rookie contract player and then a player that positions himself to earn a contract after that. Mm -hmm. That's part of the rationale with Saquon Barkley. You're not picking a guy to just come in and wow you for one year. You're picking him so that he could be a player you build your franchise around moving forward. As far as the defense is concerned, I think our last caller, Jimmy, you know, hit it right in the nose in terms of the pass rush. They finished with 30 sacks this year, Paul. Tied for second fewest in the league. Tied for 30th in the NFL. And there was a time where it flashed a little. They had 10 sacks in back-to-back games with the Bears and the Redskins. Ten total, I'm talking about. And then one sack against Tennessee, one sack against Indianapolis, and then, of course, four against Dallas. But Dak was sacked well over 50 times entering that game. It wasn't as if that was a mm-hmm. stunning development. So really, the sack numbers have fluctuated, but there were very few games where you felt the Giants were truly dominating the opposing oh. offensive line and setting the tone. And, and it starts there because that makes your secondary look 10 times better, whether you have great playmakers back there or opportunistic playmakers. What's back the number there. I've given to you about sacks? In terms I go, of the magic number. Every summer I go in saying you've got to have about 42 sacks on the season to be considered a top 10 pass rushing defense. That's the number to me, 42. Look at your roster and say, can – can I get 42 sacks out of the guys on my roster? I'm not sure exactly where 42 would have placed anybody well, I'm, this I'm year. I'm bringing up the numbers right you now. You have it? 42, no team had 42, but 42 would put you at 14th in the NFL. 14th. And how far away from top 10? How far from the top 10? Well, let's see. You had. Who was 10th? Who was 10th? 10th was, well, there were a few teams tied for 11. Seattle. And what do they have? Seattle had 43. Oh, okay. So one, one sack off from being top 10. That's my point. 42, to me, that's, that's the goal. That's what you if, – if I know pretty much I got guys on this team who can get me 42 sacks, that's when I know I've got myself a decent pass rush that I can work with. That's the number for me. Yeah. No, I think that's fair. Now, it's not the only element. There's no, a lot of, of course other, not. Because I'm, I'm, of course looking, not. I'm looking at the teams that actually finished But the point the is, 30 10. is way too low. 100%. But I'm looking at the teams in the top 10, and a lot of them are not even in the playoffs. So that's why it's one indication. Mm-hmm. You still need to be able to no stop question. the run. You got to get off the field on third down, a variety of different right. factors. But right. The Giants, see, here's the thing with the Giants. Not only did the Giants' defense fall short in the sack department, Paul, they fell short in stopping the run at times. They fell short in getting off the field on third, third down. down conversion. Terrible. So it was basically a culmination of a variety of different factors. Big plays, too. Too that's many 20-yard plays. Yep. Let's head back to the phone lines. Christian is in New York. Christian, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you have for us? Hey, guys. Well, Hi. How are we doing, I mean, Christian? First of all, 
I love Dave Gettleman. Um, there's a couple things I want to say about him. Um, I think as far as GM interviews, pretty much everything gets read into way too much. But there's one thing he said that he actually uh, kind of practices what he preaches, and that's the drafting the best player overall, mm-hmm. uh, the best player available. Um, you know, I really hope that's a smokescreen because I feel like you really have to weigh other things in and not just be 100% best player available. I mean, what if a running back, like not that there's going to be that good of a running back this year, but if he felt the best player was a running back and he took him at six, that wouldn't be good. I don't think he's going to do that. And I don't think he's taking a kicker or a punter either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I get I get your point, Christian. Yes, the the guiding light is best player available, but then at the same time, you still need to look over your roster and say to yourself, well, we can only put so many running backs on the field at the same time, so then maybe we need to at least reevaluate who else is on our list or move down under those circumstances. Because sure. maybe, maybe, Christian, if a running back is, let's say, the best guy on their board, maybe they feel, you know what, if we move down, we'll get extra picks, and then we'll still be able to target maybe the second guy on our list. So, of course, there's other ways to maneuver around not necessarily grabbing the first guy on your list. But you start with the best player available, and then you work backwards if you have to. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I totally see that. It's just It seems like when Dallas built that line, they were leaving some value on the table here and there to eventually get to having an awesome line. And, you know, just kind of an example of, you know, building an identity and leaving some value once in a while just for the long term. Well, but, in, in fairness, uh, though, Christian, Zach Martin's been a Pro Bowl offensive <laughs> lineman. Travis Frederick's well, been was, a Pro Bowl offensive yeah. I mean, I mean, I get your point, but I think they've gotten a pretty good value from the guys they've And so taken. the Colts, by the way, as they fix their line. Yeah, Quentin Nelson, Pro Bowler, Braden Smith actually mm-hmm. filled in nicely for some injuries. So it, it's, it's hard to fault yeah. teams for doing that. Well, no, but I, I remember them taking a lot of heat for Travis Frederick in the moment. Well, but, um, but it's a difference between taking heat and then the results speak for themselves, as sure. we say. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. But um, the other thing I want to say about Gettleman is, uh, you know, he is really entertaining to listen to, and he handles the media really well. So, I mean, I, I think it would just – I think the fans would really appreciate it if maybe he would just do, like, two more interviews a year. I mean, at least for a midseason, just to kind of – go over everything a little bit. I mean, because it's not like the guy kind of gets – it's not like he gets handled by the media. I mean, he he does a good job. That's not his first rodeo, to your point. That's for sure. (laughs) He's been around the block a few times. We'll we'll mention it to him, okay? Thanks for the call. All right, Christian. We would appreciate that for sure. Well, and it goes back to what I think it was Marco who asked earlier in the show, and I get it because – like anything else, Paul, when you have a general manager here for as long as Jerry Reese was, Jerry Reese – did things the way he best saw fit. His procedures were, I'm going to speak right at the beginning of training camp, right? Right. Normally did. Then he had a press conference during the bye week. Yes. And then he had a press conference at the end of the season. Mm -hmm. That was how Jerry Reese did it. Now, I'm not necessarily keeping tabs on how every other general manager runs things, but I know for a fact that every general manager does not have a formal press conference at training camp, bye week, and after the season. Right. So Dave Gettleman was certainly not on an island. And as I said... Dave did it his way in Carolina. That's the beauty of when you become a head coach and you've been an assistant all these years. You look at how the head coach ran things, Paul, Mm -hmm. and then you say, you know what? I liked what he did, but you know what? When I'm a head coach, there's going to be these things that I'm going to tweak. So once again, Dave 
does it the way that he best sees fit. I don't disagree with any fan that calls up and says you'd like to hear from the general manager. In an ideal world, I think you'd love to hear from everybody every single week so you'd have more to talk about. But once again, I, I think you also need to respect the fact that just because your predecessor handled it that way does not mean that you have to follow well, that. Everybody can have a preference and an opinion, but you're right. You just have to respect what it is he wants to do. And Dave feels you're hearing from the head coach, the voice that he wants to be for the organization on nearly a daily basis. Isn't that enough? Well, and, and, I, I, and I get that. And I, the reason I get that is not that Dave would contradict Pat, but there may be things that Gettleman addresses that then Shermer's going to have to readdress because the media is going to say, well, Dave said this, what are your mm. thoughts? And then oh, it you becomes, know yeah. that that's what they were doing. Well, and it becomes, he said, he said, what do you think about that? Bingo. So it becomes oh, a ping-pong really game. And, and, and that's, what, that's one of the reasons why I think most GMs, not just Dave Gettleman, I think most GMs feel it's not necessary for us to speak during the season. Let the coach address personnel. And then after the season, when it's my time to shine, because now I get to make roster moves, I'll let you know what I think. Let's head back to the phone lines, a guy that we don't always like to hear what he has to think. Charlie is in Portland, Maine. Charlie, welcome to the program. Hi, Charlie. What do you have for us? Hey, guys. I'm just finishing my comic book. Oh, so. that's beautiful. <laughs> when do you plan to unveil it? Are you going to have a, a comic signing, too? Let, let us know what stores and locations you'll be around. We'd love to let All the right. Giants fan base know about it. The that. Will Beatty story. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Hey, I just want to let you know, Mr. Will Hill, the thrill, is actually in training, working out for the new football league that's coming up, uh, I think, this yeah. year, this fall, I mean, this spring. So, hey, you never know. He could be back. Well, if there's anybody that wants to revisit <laughs> old Giants, it's certainly Charlie from Portland. That Bay, is true. So we're not surprised to hear that. Yes. Hey, just a, bit, a little bit about uh, Gettleman's uh, press conference. Sure. He did mention one player and gave a status of that player this year coming up by saying he isn't going to be traded, and that was Odell. So he did make a statement about a player uh, and about his status on the team. Yeah, but Charlie, hold on a second. Sure. You, you know that it's impossible for the Giants to trade Beckham, and again, the comic books don't tell you this. It's a $35.5 million dead cap hit if they trade Odell Beckham Jr. Now oh, think I about know, think about this for a second. And and again, I, uh, it's funny how people leave this out of their stories. If the cap's going to be $190 million in 2019 and you trade Odell Beckham, I don't care if it's for three first-round draft picks, you're now operating with only $155 million because it's going to be $35.5 million of dead money against your cap. Going to eat up all why, that why would any organization give up that much cap room, even if you wanted to get rid of the guy? That's, that's financial suicide. Not to mention, oh, you're I, also I paying him. They shouldn't get rid of him, period. N not to right. mention, Charlie, before I let you get you, you're also going sure. to be having dead money on your cap and watching him play for another team. Which makes a whole lot of sense, doesn't it? <laughs> and, then, and then you got to replace him, by the way. What yeah. I was saying, it's, I was just the point I was trying to make. He did say something about a player. When well, it's easy to say he that, though. Say anything about a player? Uh, no, no, no. It, it's easy to say. And what? And he didn't say. He didn't say what you said exactly. His words were: he laughed and said, "We didn't sign him to trade him." Though that's what he said. He didn't say flat out, I'm not trading him, or I guarantee you he's on the team. He said we didn't sign him to trade him, which is a very true statement. But what I'm telling you is, economically, it's impossible to trade him anyway. So there is no harm in even addressing Odell because you're talking about a hypothetical that cannot happen. 
Right. You get right. it? No. Yeah, no, okay. I, I get it. And, and the thing is, uh, just, you know, listening to what, what I think is happening, you know, this is my gut feeling, you know. Um, I think Gettleman and, you know, they had their talk with Eli, and I think they put it out like, we can't guarantee you the starting position, or you know, we can guarantee it for maybe the first game, but we're going to bring in a veteran. We're, gonna, we're probably going to get, uh, you know, we're going to get somebody in the draft. And I just don't know that Eli felt com- feels comfortable with not having, like last year it was like, yep, yeah, you're our starting quarterback. I don't know if they're going to say that at this time for him. And I think he's the one, it's on him now to decide what he wants to do, either retire, either take the Giants' iffy situation, or go to a team like Jacksonville or Denver where he will actually be the starting quarterback, probably get a two-year deal to be their starting quarterback. So I think that's the situation Eli's in. What does he want to do? And um, my gut feeling is, I don't know, something, I, when I listened to the press conference, there was just something about it that my gut said, Eli is not going to be back with the Giants. I, I, I got the sick feeling that this, there's something going on that I don't think it's, it's, he's going to be here. But I hope I'm wrong. I hope that's not the case. I hope uh, they give him some encouragement and stability of what they want from him, and he's, you know, he'll agree to that. But my gut feeling is I think they're not going to, you know, I don't think he wants to be a Kurt Warner who's going to play six games and then be on the bench with a, you know, in, in, with a, uh, you know, clipboard. He doesn't want that. And I don't I, think I, he don't thinks think that'll happen, though, Charlie. I, I think I think he believes that the future is bright for this team next season. I think the Giants front office believes that. And and as a result, I will tell you, I felt exactly the opposite of what you were feeling, and I hope that makes you sleep a little better. Well, Charlie is the same one who had the gut that Will Beattie would return to the roster every single week this season. So if we go by Charlie's gut and his track record, I don't know necessarily if you want to put much stock or substance. In all seriousness, though, Charlie, as I indicated at the beginning of the show, I do understand where you're coming from, and I believe that things were set in that room from both sides that has to allow them to think about things. And I do think that people are not taking into consideration Eli may be thinking about things a little bit differently than the Giants are or vice versa. So I, I think you bring up a valid point. I'm just not necessarily a believer in whatever's coming out of your gut, and I think that's understandable. <laughs> that's all. I'm going to leave it at Yes. <laughs> hey. Yeah. Hey, we still need a right tackle. Don't forget Mr. Charlie, don't worry. We, we, will not, we will not be worried about you not being here to remind us about that all offseason. I can assure you that, too. Thanks, Charlie. I appreciate the phone call. Thanks, Charlie. Charlie in Portland, Maine. It's, it's always exciting to end the program off on a very strong note mm-hmm. with uh, Charlie's two cents that he throws into the program. All right, speaking of the program, some news and notes with respect to the logistics of our program. Yes, sir. Number one, there will be no show tomorrow. Don't be alarmed. The offices are closed. That's why we won't be having Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We're going to be back up and running Monday through Friday, all offseason, okay? We are not leaving for anything. We'll be here to discuss every single detail of the offseason. However, starting on Monday, the show is returning to its usual time of noon Eastern. 
So hopefully you will be able to adjust your lunch schedule and your time off. Well, the pre-Pat yes. Shermer time of 12 the noon Eastern. Okay, well, <laughs> noon, I know the shows have fluctuated, but noon is the time that I've always associated yes. with Big Blue Kickoff Live. So noon Eastern, Monday will be our off-season time until we tell you anything differently. We just want you to make sure that you could plan accordingly, and obviously you could tune in, as always, here on Giants.com, as well as the Giants mobile app. We appreciate everybody tuning in, the calls, the tweets. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy your weekend. We'll speak to you on Monday right here on Giants.com. Have a good one.